Well, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And those seven churches, during the time of the writing of Revelation, were experiencing great persecution. And out of those seven different messages to those churches, some of them received messages of correction, some of them received messages of encouragement, and some of them received very uh, extreme messages of, hey, you need to get this right, you need to repent, you need to turn around because here's what's coming, here's what's going on. And as the message was given to these different churches, they were all experiencing persecution in their day and age, and they responded to it differently. And I think that the same is true of our world, that we see that as the church is persecuted, as people are being challenged in their faith, people are responding to it very differently, depending on where they may be at in the world, because we see that some brothers and sisters in Christ may be experiencing persecution in the sense of they're actually being put in prison for their faith like these things actually happen in the world today as a matter of fact there's a statistic that's put out by open doors usa that tracks some of these things that says just the ones we know about that there are eight christians that give their life for the cause of christ for the sake of the gospel every single day that means there's one every three hours that gives their life in exchange for not denying their faith. They're given a choice, run out your faith in Christ or choose to suffer death and they choose to die. That happens every three hours. So that helps to make us realize these things are happening. But then there's also a, another type of persecution that is experienced in the world today where we may see people who may put pressure on us socially, who may want to ostracize us, uh, from circles of acceptance, from family, from uh, maybe community, from friends, or whether it may be making your life increasingly difficult as a result of your faith. So when we talk about persecution, when we talk about challenges, we need to realize that these things have happened, they are happening, and they will continue to happen until Jesus Christ returns for his bride, the church. And there is a cost that is attached to our faith. And we need to be very aware of the cost that is attached to it because Jesus let us know very quickly there is a cost to being a disciple of Christ. And we need to be willing and ready to be able to stand and give a reason for this faith that we have in Jesus, regardless of what challenges we may face, whether it be something where we may physically experience persecution and challenges for the sake of Christ, or whether it may be socially, or maybe it may be even financially, whatever the challenges that are currently facing us or that may lie ahead of us, if we understand the cost and if we value Christ, we will truly be able to be rooted and grounded and planted in what is most valuable so that we will not sway, so that we will continue to be faithful to the one who's been faithful to us. And we need to remember the cost to our faith. So let's go to Luke chapter 14 this morning and let's look at how Jesus laid out this idea of a cost being attached to being a follower of Jesus. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, scripture says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he's laid a foundation. He's not able to finish. And everyone who sees it is going to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is giving weight here to the cost of discipleship, to the cost of being a follower of Jesus. This isn't something casual that we enter into. He likens it to a building project. How many of you have ever started a home remodel project or something like that, and then it ends up costing you way more than you planned? And you're like, oh man, I opened up this wall and I didn't know this was here, or I began to break into this thing and oh no, I didn't know this was attached to it, and now you're having to find out what it really is going to cost. So, so I would liken that to say this, whatever the cost is of following Jesus, we probably fully do not understand the cost. There's probably more attached to it. Because how many of us have followed Jesus, and when we first followed him, we thought we knew what we were getting into, and as we grow deeper in our faith, we realize, wow, there really is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost greater than what we often realize, because we don't fully understand exactly what all we're getting into, but Jesus is trying to paint the picture and lay the foundation that, hey, if you're going to follow me, get ready for it to cost you something. That's why it's valuable. That's why following Jesus is valuable because there is a cost to it. What does it cost? Everything. It costs everything. And Jesus set the, 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 the tone by giving everything. There is a cost to following Jesus. He said, listen, even if your family members even if they reject you because of Christ, I'm more valuable than your family members. He said, and if you're not willing to see that, then you don't understand the cost of following me. He said, if, if you don't understand even that your own life is not your own, you're, you're going to miss out on the value and worth found in Christ. And then when your faith is tested, when you're tempted, when you're tried, are you going to truly place that hope and that anchor and that faith that you have in Jesus Christ. You see, kingdom living is going to involve persecution. Living in light of the gospel, living in light of eternity, doing the things that God has called us to do when we are placed in a culture that is very anti-Christ, when we're placed in a world that is very anti-Christ and against the things of God. When we're placed in that type of culture, living as strangers, as foreigners, as the scripture says, as citizens of heaven, but yet still being here on earth, we're living with a different set of values. We're living with a different purpose. We're living our lives with a very different mission than those who do not know Christ around us are living. And so because of that, it should cause a markable, noticeable difference in those who claim to follow Jesus and those who do not have a relationship with Christ. Kingdom living and living counterculturally will cause persecution. And when I say persecution... I'm not talking about you being a Facebook troll to where you're going out commenting on everybody's social media and you're going to be in the social media police and you're trying to fix everybody's bad theology and bad values by you going and sharing all of your opinions and thoughts and getting into long threads of arguments on social media. That's not persecution, okay? That's not what we're talking about. 
We're not even talking about you starting your own blog or, or your own video channel on YouTube to where now you're, you're promoting your message. And, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are being persecuted for the sake of their faith in Christ. The fact that they're trusting Jesus is rubbing culture a certain way. And persecution is facing difficulty, maybe even being faced with being ostracized by communities you were once accepted in, or as some brothers and sisters around the world every three hours are facing the, their very lives, that they're facing that in light of their faith in Jesus. The Bible says this in many different places and reiterates this all throughout the New Testament and even certain places in the Old Testament about the persecution endured by those who are trusting in the Lord and wanting to live to please Him. And over in the New Testament, I just want to give you a few passages of Scripture just to bring this. There are many, many more we could go through, but here's just a few. 2 Timothy 3 and 12, Paul writes this to young Timothy. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter writes, don't be surprised when these things happen. So when evil comes knocking at your door, wanting to falsely accuse you, wanting to persecute you, wanting to ostracize you, wanting to make your life more difficult. Don't go, why me? Or who me? What did I do? Don't be surprised. He said, these are the types of things that are happening when you're living in the world, but you're not participating in the things that the world does, and you're living counter-culturally, and you're living to please God and not please man. Don't be surprised when these things happen. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are causing the persecution. A lot of times we want to see uh, justice exacted on those who treat us poorly, right? We want ourselves to be vindicated. We want others to see that we are indeed doing the right uh, and just and honorable thing that we're carriers of integrity, but the world doesn't always see that because you could have the right message, you could be living to please God, and the world be casting stones your direction. Amen? And we see that happening. And when those things happen, what do you do? How do you respond to those people? Well, the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of high places. In other words, this is a spiritual battle. Don't make it about that person. Don't make it about that name. Don't make it about that public figure. Don't make it about those things. There are spiritual things happening. And so you have to fight a spiritual war with spiritual weapons. That's why scripture says in 2 Corinthians that we are not using weapons that are carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not natural carnal weapons. But our weapons are mighty in the spirit. And with those weapons, we pull down strongholds and we cast down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. We bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's what the word says. This is a spiritual battle. It must be fought with spiritual weapons, which is why Jesus says here, when someone persecutes you, go to it and attack that at a spiritual level. How do you do that? Pray for those who persecute you. That's how you do it. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. It's a spiritual 
battle. It's something that you need to go and actually pray for those individuals. Pray for that boss that's giving you a hard time because you're a Christian in the workplace, and they're making things more difficult on you because you're a Christian. Pray for those family members that make Thanksgiving really uncomfortable because you're a Christian, and maybe you're the only one in the family that's not, and they're bringing difficulty uh, to you on purpose because you're not aligning with the way they think. When the world wants to come against you and attack you, don't make it about the person. Attack those things in a spiritual manner because what's happening in the spirit will manifest in the natural. That's how spiritual principles work. Those spiritual things are happening and it's motivating and influencing what you and I can see with our eyes. Just like we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. There is a spirit at work, folks. The Bible calls it the spirit of antichrist. It is against Christ. And it is very much alive and well in this world as scripture says in First and Second Peter. We see that Scripture talks about this spirit, this force that is driving a system, that's driving a culture, that's driving people. Because it's not, it seems like none of the other religions in the world really offend people all that much. But for some reason, Christianity offends people. Why? Why? Because there's a spirit that is against Christ. How come we're apologizing to other religions, but then Christians are getting the short end of the stick? What did we do? It's because Christ is the stumbling block of offense. It is Christ they are really angry at. Christ they're really warring with. Not necessarily the Christian, but it is Christ. It is Jesus. Jesus is the one that's causing the issues here. And Jesus said, people in the world are going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. And it's crazy because we actually have the message of love and hope and reconciliation. And we try to share that message and they don't want to hear it. You are trying to share the message of love and hope and eternity, and people will begin to say, you people are just so filled with hate. Now, and, and then the whole world buys that message. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist is pulling the blinders over people's eyes to not hear the truth of the Word of God, and people are buying into it. That's why Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and there are many who find it. But then there's a road that's straight and narrow, and Jesus said it leads to life. And there are few that find it. Also, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Has anyone ever uttered anything about you falsely before? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys online, anybody ever said anything false about you before? I think all of us have experienced a measure of someone saying something that was untrue about us. We hate that, don't we? Man, that bothers us. That makes us angry. How are we supposed to respond? Well, how did Jesus say to respond? He said, rejoice. Well, that doesn't make sense. And be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I love that Jesus says that they persecuted the prophets before you because when you start going through a tough time, here's what the enemy always loves to do. He always makes you think that you're the only one who's ever gone through what you're going through and you start feeling sorry for yourself and you begin to question, is this worth it? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to feel like you're alone. No one understands. No one understands the pressures you're facing. No one understands how difficult for you that this is. It would be so much easier if you just did what everyone else is doing. Everyone else seems to get away with it. Everyone else seems to be happy. Everyone else seems to be having a good time. Why am I so different? I'm all alone. No one else is here like me. He goes, wait a minute. He said, be glad when people are speaking false things against you on my account. He said, because you're laying up treasure in heaven. Your reward in heaven is great. And don't forget, by the way, they persecuted the prophets before you. 
Like, this is not new. This is not like all of a sudden you're special, you're unique. No, no, no. This is persecution actually against the name of Christ. They're actually hating him. He said, when the world hates you, he said, remember, they hated me first. Uh, they didn't receive him. They, he said, the prophets before you, you need to live in light of eternity. If we were on trial for being a Christian, if we were placed on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? By the way we live, by the fruit of our lives, by the things that we do, the way we interact with other people, the priority in which we live our lives, is there enough evidence in your life that if you were placed on trial for your faith, that you would be guilty of being a Christ follower? Is there enough evidence? And, and the thing is, is, there's so many compromises that we want to make in our lives because compromise, we feel, can get us the best of both worlds. We can please God, and we can kind of be accepted by everybody else too. Because in America, we don't necessarily face the same types of persecution that those who are in closed countries where the gospel is forbidden face. Those who are in closed countries where the, if they get caught with the Bible, they get thrown in jail, or if they don't uh, recant their faith in Christ, then their family gets abused, or they get fired from their job, or worse, someone gets beheaded, or imprisoned, or, or beaten publicly, or shamed. Uh, we don't live in that area, because I don't think anyone showed up today and is sitting here in these chairs worried that someone is going to come and arrest us all because we're doing this because we're gathering in the name of Christ. We don't really have that at the forefront of our mind, although there are those who have gathered around the world on a Sunday, worshiping God, sharing the word, who that is at the forefront of their mind. That's a concern of theirs. And they're thinking about the cost of their faith. They're thinking, this is worth it to gather with other believers, even meeting secretly. And if we get arrested, we get arrested. It's kind of the same attitude that uh, Esther had going before the king that her mission was so worth it that she said, if I die, I die. It's, it, it's all for the glory of God. This doesn't matter. I need to be about the business of pleasing God. And, and, and so they're living with that type of priority. So the persecution for us in America looks different because a lot of us own Bibles and you're not hiding them in your home. Now you publicly maybe even display them on your coffee table, or maybe they're in a prominent place on the nightstand next to your uh, bed. You don't think anything about that. That's normal to you because you live in a nation where most of your religious liberties are protected. And we thank God for that, but that may not always be the case. Is Christ only valuable to you when He's convenient and when it's comfortable, when it's accepted by the majority and there are certain protections in place? Or if there was a measure of risk that maybe would even cost you your own life, do you still live with that type of confidence in your faith? Do you still live with that? Because the compromise that we're tempted with in America is not necessarily to just outright deny and recant our faith, but what we're tempted with in America is to act one way over here with this group, and then on Sunday we act a certain way with this group because it's accepted, because America, big propaganda, and the thing that the culture is actively pushing is the message of acceptance. And more, more uh, covertly, the fear of rejection. 
And so we began to buy into this thing that we must be accepted. And so we will change in America our entire self to be accepted by certain groups. If I have to dress this way to be accepted in this group, I'll dress this way to be accepted in this group. If I have to behave this way to be accepted in this group, I'll begin behaving this way. And we're looking for uh, uh, tricks and tips on how to improve our lives this way or that way so we can live like these other people. Why? So we will gain acceptance in those circles. And if we'll gain acceptance in those circles, then we feel that we're okay. But at what cost? How much alteration to us physically, emotionally, mentally, and to our values do we have to make? How many compromises, how many changes do we have to make just to gain acceptance? Maybe I have to have the new iPhone. Maybe I have to drive a certain year model of car or a certain make of a car. Maybe I have to live in a certain neighborhood. Maybe I have to have a certain uh, amount of income. Maybe I need to have had certain experiences. All of these things are driving us because we want to be accepted. And we're afraid of being rejected. And so we'll make all these great sacrifices, all these great changes. And unfortunately, in the midst of doing all that, a lot of compromises. And that's, I think, one of the biggest ways that America is being persecuted, and especially the church, because there are even whole churches who are willing to make compromises with culture. There are churches that will make compromises to appease the culture because here's what culture does, and it's getting louder and louder and louder. Culture says, think like me, and if you don't, you're going to be shamed. And culture uses the weapon of shame to try to feed into that fear of rejection, that fear of not being accepted by the majority. Oh, no, you think this way instead of this way. Well, we all think this way. Even if you politely share your opinion, you are still labeled and attacked and ostracized. And it's all to cause you to be silent, to be afraid, or to just jump in and ride the wave and think like everybody else because I don't want to face that type of rejection. Because the moment the Christian stands up for truth, the moment the Christian speaks out about something, but it could even be in love and it could even be because you care about that person's eternity, you could be labeled with all sorts of labels. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're getting all sorts of hate mail and all sorts of nasty emails and phone calls and text messages and people are blowing up your social media feed but telling you what a terrible person you are. It doesn't matter. That's, that, that's, that's the way that culture is trying to pressure the church into compromising. That's a, a way that we are experiencing a measure of persecution. But Jesus said that bless those who persecute you. Blessed are you when others revile you for my name's sake. And I'm not saying go out there and stir up trouble. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying go out there and start you a new blog and tell the world what you think. What I am suggesting, though, is that when you are put in a corner and you're pressed about your faith, you need to be able to speak the truth in love and whatever happens, whatever people think, it happens and they think. It may cost you relationships, but Jesus said, you have to love me more than your father and mother. Jesus said, you have to love me more than your own life. He said, and if you don't understand the cost of that, and you're not willing to pay the price of that, he said, then you're not worthy to be called my disciple. You have to take up your cross and follow me. This is a cost. This is real suffering. And there has to be a difference in the follower of Christ from the rest of the world. If the only difference between us who call ourselves Christian and the rest of the world is where we park our car for an hour and a half once a week, then folks, we are in danger of diluting the gospel 
and robbing the next generation of being able to stand for Christ. Because they do not understand, they do not see the value, they do not see us modeling. There must be a difference in us. We're called to be different. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're citizens of heaven, a different kingdom. Scripture explicitly says this. Scripture says you'll be persecuted because of it. There is a cost if we were put on trial for being a Christ follower. Is there enough evidence to convict us? God, help us. Because there has been and there continues to be real persecution in the world towards followers of Jesus. And we call these people martyrs. And in martyr, uh, in Greek, the word martyr means witness. And it means one who chooses to suffer death rather than to deny Jesus or his work. One who bears the testimony to the truth of what he has seen or heard or knows as in a witness in a court of justice. One who sacrifices something very important to further the kingdom of God. Or one who endures severe or constant suffering for their Christian witness. You see, folks, living like eternity matters starts with an understanding that I am bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. My life is not my own, as Scripture says. My body is a living sacrifice to God, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Jesus must be more valuable to the one who calls themselves a Christian than anything else. Nothing is more valuable to the Christian than Jesus Christ. There is a cost, and many have paid that price throughout history. As I mentioned earlier, opendoorsusa.org has the statistic that every three hours someone gives their life for Jesus. And there's a few websites that I want to share with you. Opendoorusa.org, they not only keep track of the persecuted churches and nations around the world where people are being persecuted for their faith, but they also smuggle Bibles into these countries that are closed countries. They are risking their very lives to put in the hands of people all around the world the very word of God, the thing that you and I could freely walk into a store and buy or click, you know, buy now and have shipped to our home. They actually are smuggling and risking their very lives. Open Doors USA, I would recommend that you would pray about maybe even financially partnering with one of these organizations. Uh, PrisonerAlert.com and Persecution.com, those are both from an organization that you may have heard of before called Voice of the Martyrs. And so Voice of the Martyrs is, is a Christian organization that helps us to stay aware of what's happening in the church worldwide and where there are different levels of persecution all throughout the world. And some of these uh, levels vary from where people are losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods, to where maybe they're being imprisoned or even killed. And the beautiful thing that I found that I didn't know about until I did some research in preparation for this message is that on these websites, you can actually see pictures and read stories and find names of individuals who are actually being persecuted right now. Some of those may be uh, the wife and children of maybe a pastor who is in prison. And there may be a pastor who is in a prison, or there may be someone who is, who is uh, going through a great difficulty because of their faith, and they share their story on these websites. And here's the beautiful thing that you can do. It doesn't cost you a dime. You can actually send them a message and encourage them. They have about 60, 70 different phrases that you can choose from, And you can build your own custom message to those individuals or to those families. It will translate those messages into the language of that person overseas. And you can print it out and mail it if it provides an address. Or in some instances, you can email it to certain families in different countries where they may have a loved one who's in prison because of their faith. You can actually do that. And it doesn't cost you anything except maybe a little bit of time and maybe a little bit of postage. This is something the body of Christ should be actively involved in, in my opinion. 
I want us to make this a rhythm in our home. I talked to my wife about it. I said, I would like for us to just sit down at least once a week as a family and find a different person to encourage who may be suffering persecution or, or job loss or, or, or maybe their loved one is in prison or maybe they, things are difficult for them. I, I would love for us to make that a rhythm in our home where we just make that a part of our, our faith journey to temper our understanding of the body of Christ worldwide because these are our brothers and sisters in the Lord, amen? This is our family being persecuted. These people are going to be in heaven with us. It's not just America. There's, uh, our faith is worldwide. This is going all over. And this is happening. Why would we not respond? Here's uh, some of the crazy things, though, that will really mess with you when you start getting into this website is uh, you'll read some of the stories about some of these pastors who are in prison, and when they're asking people to pray for them, you want to know what they're asking? They're saying, please stop praying that we get released. Wouldn't you think if you were in prison in a third world country that was being persecuted, would that be priority numero uno on your list and my list? Yeah, I think so. You want to know why? Because Americans, we prioritize our comfort, our safety, our security. That's what's important to us. And they say, stop praying for us to be released because there are prisoners that are in the jail with us that should be there. They're actually serving time because they did an actual crime and they're hearing the gospel. Guards are receiving the gospel. And there are people who would never have heard the gospel who are hearing the gospel because they are in a situation that they're being persecuted because of their faith. Yes, they miss their families. Yes, they miss their wife. Yes, they wish they could be out and free and enjoy things. But the priority of their life is that they count it an honor to serve Christ in this way in sharing the gospel while they're in chains. Much like the Apostle Paul did, as you read throughout the epistles, as he shared Christ with the jailer who was going to take his own life. As you see Paul sharing with other prisoners the gospel. As you see them singing praises to God in prison throughout the scriptures. The same thing is happening today in the world. And you can be a part of encouraging them. And here's another thing that these websites will do as well. If there is someone who uh, is uh, being persecuted and it's a government thing, uh, you can actually write to the government officials in charge of overseeing that person or that region, and you can petition them as well. And they have those same kind of little drop-down menus with the different phrases, and they tell you on the website what to say because they, they, they know what needs to be said in these petitions that you can sign and, and you know, try to help these families in these situations. Church, this is stuff we could do. I mean, we could never have done this before the advent of technology, and now we are aware of this. And, and, and the three who are, pa- uh, or the person who passes away every three hours as a result of being persecuted for their faith, those are just the ones they know about. Those are just the ones that we understand. The most persecuted country in the world uh, for a Christian is North Korea right now. Um, that's uh, the number one, which may surprise some of you. Um, but that's actually the most persecuted, that's the hardest place to be a Christian and have the gospel spread is North Korea. And they tell you why. They give you uh, profiles of all the countries. They rank them in the different levels of persecution. So you can kind of go on there and understand what's going on throughout the world. I would highly encourage you. Sit down with your, with your kids, with your wife, with your grandchildren, uh, with your husband, with your friends. Um, with, with, uh, just go through this and spend some time having your heart stirred for the church who is persecuted. So we can get involved and we need to treat these folks and pray for them and advocate for them as if they were our own blood relatives because they're our eternal family. They're our forever family if they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And those who were praying, who were asking the church to stop praying for their release, here's what they were asking. Pray that we would have the strength to continue. 
Pray that we would find our strength in Christ because, buddy, don't you think they need it? Man, they do. And if it was our child, our grandchild, our nephew, niece, if it was our husband, our wife who was in prison, I think we would be praying all the time for them, don't you? We need to pray for these people as if they were our, bro- our blood relatives because they are our heavenly relatives and we need to make sure that we're standing in the gap for them and praying for those situations. But the cost we are willing to pay for our faith hinges on the worth that we place in Christ. Uh, the, the cost we're willing to pay. These people obviously are willing to pay a great price. But how much worth do we place in Jesus? How much do we value Jesus? You see, church, the value that we place in Christ must outweigh everything else that would contend for our affection and our devotion. The type of passion that we have towards Jesus must outweigh anything that would distract us. Otherwise, we are responsible for diluting the message of the gospel to the next generation. And all they see is compromise when they need to see us living out this faith in a serious way where we value Christ, where our priorities are clear, where the fruit of a life that has been changed by the gospel of Jesus is clear. Not that we're perfect, but that we're pursuing. Not that we have it all figured out, but that we're growing in Christ together. Where is the priority on Jesus Christ in our homes, in our lives, in this church? A great price has been paid by the blood of martyrs for generations for you to be able to hear about the hope of salvation. And a great price has been paid for you to hold a Bible in your hand. How do we respond? How are we responding? Because I read in Revelation that there's a ramping up of persecution as the return of Jesus Christ draws near. And my concern is that we are more concerned with our comfort and the distractions of this world than we are eternity. And may God help us because I want us to have a strong faith that we will be able to endure whatever challenges we face and we cling to the gospel, that we cling to the hope we have in Jesus. Because I'm just like you. I've said it maybe daily sometimes, man, I can't wait for things to get back to normal, right? I mean, I'm ready for all this mess to be over. This is so annoying. What are we saying? I'm uncomfortable and I'm tired of being uncomfortable. I'm ready to go back to being comfortable. That's really what we're saying. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. This isn't as fun as it was before when I was comfortable. I'm ready to be comfortable again. I'm ready for things in the world to go back to my version of normal. And if we're seeking that more than we're caring about the souls of people and the eternal well-being of those around us, I think we're missing the mark on what really matters. Because there is going to be a ramping up of persecution. Now, things may get better for us in America during this season. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there will be the right policies made that will maybe just kind of calm the sea for a little while. Maybe there will be the right things that kind of pop up here and there to kind of calm things for a little while. But then something else is going to come along. Something else is going to stir the pot again. That's part of the system. It's never going to be perfect because guess what? People are involved. (laughs) And if people are involved, then sin is involved. And if sin is involved, then there's the, the great potential for us to be right back in that crazy cycle again. We would fool ourselves if we think man can fix this problem. Man has been trying to fix himself and fix the world for years. Only Christ can. Christ is the hope. And we have the message of the gospel. We are containers of the gospel. We are vessels to be poured out as an offering to God. 
We have a responsibility and a duty to share the gospel. But for us to be able to share the gospel, we must be convinced and convicted of the gospel. And we must have in us a, an assurance and a, and, and a confidence in Christ to where I can confidently share. And if you're not there where you can confidently share it, get there. Grow to that place. It's your responsibility as a Christ follower to share. Uh, one of the most, no, the most influential person in my life um, who made the biggest difference in a very short amount of time, because I only spent six months of my life with this guy, was when I was 17, 18 years old. For about six months, I was a part of a youth group, and there was a youth pastor by the name of Randy Gudo, who was my youth pastor, and his church was about 30, 40 minutes away from where I lived, and when I was living at home, I drove a 1970 Ford Torino. That was my first car. And you would get in that car, and when you got out of it, you smelled like fumes, exhaust, and gasoline. That's because that car burned a lot of gas, and it got seven, maybe eight miles to the gallon. And for me as a teenager, making $4.15 an hour to drive 40 minutes in a car that was sucking gas was a big deal. And I drove down to that town, to that church all the time because I was connecting with the faith of this youth pastor, and I was inspired by the example that he set. He would load up groups of teenagers and say, let's go to a football game, and let's go find someone to tell about Jesus. Let's go find someone to pray with. He would load up teenagers in his vehicle and say, let's go to the park. Let's go to the mall. Let's go tell people about Jesus, and let's go find someone that needs the gospel and that needs hope and needs someone to pray for them. He had us go on mission with him, and this guy was fired up. He was so passionate, and still is to this day. I'm just not in contact with him like I used to be, but he made such an impact on my life, and he, he, he stirred such a passion and such a fire in me for Jesus. I'll never forget this one story that he told in a sermon one night. He said that he was in a restaurant. He was really tired. He had been exhausted from the day, and he just wanted to sit down with his family and have a nice meal. And he had his daughter with him, and his daughter was about five, six years old at the time. And they were sitting down for a family meal at the restaurant. The waitress comes. She pours the water, hands the menus, comes back, takes the order, brings them the food, et cetera, et cetera, going through the motions of eating at a restaurant. And the little girl is just confused as she could be. And as the waitress brings the check, she looks at her dad, and she says, Daddy, why haven't you told that lady about Jesus yet? What do you think he did after that? Uh, you know, after your five, six-year-old little girl, you're going to go, well, I am now. Because she had seen him do that so much, she thought it was abnormal for him not to share Christ. That's the type of guy this was. And when I was around him, it stirred something in me. And the, the reason I, I left his youth group was because I actually became a youth pastor. Uh, but I was a part of what was going on in his church for about six months. And I stayed in touch for a number of years after. But the guy's still doing some incredible things for the kingdom and still inspiring people to be passionate and transparent with their faith. And it challenges me to think about living with that type of urgency, that type of authenticity, that type of hunger, that type of passion. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, there's a faith that's in you. He said, it was in your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice. He said, and I'm convinced that it's in you too. So therefore, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. He said, do not give into the spirit of fear. That's not from God. God hasn't given it to you. He's given you a spirit of love, power, and of a sound mind. Don't be intimidated by what others can do to you. There's something on the inside of you. It's your responsibility to stir it up. 
Paul didn't say, I'm going to come to you and lay hands on you again. He said, no, I already laid hands on you. I prayed for you. You've got a gift. You've got a legacy. You have an inheritance from your mother and your grandmother. You have a strong, genuine faith. Now stir up the gift. Use it. Don't be afraid of what man can do unto you. I think, church, we need to live with that type of priority, that type of uh, urgency, understanding that we are living in a time now more than ever, I think, where the gospel needs to be shared and has the opportunity to be shared in such great ways. And it's amazing if we will take advantage of what God has put in our hands to do and set before us to do living on mission. I want us to be able to cling to hope because Christ is the one who gives us assurance that we will overcome. Hope in Christ is what gives us that assurance. That's how we know we will overcome. In Revelation chapter 12, let's read that real quick. Revelation 12 and verse 10, Scripture says this, that, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to the death. It says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The accuser, he's been accusing. He's been accusing you. He's been accusing you. He's been trying to intimidate you and accuse you and lie and manipulate and, and try to pander fear. And he said, he's done. The accuser of the brethren has been overcome, but this is how they overcame him. This is how they persevered through all of that accusation, through all of that intimidation, by the blood of the Lamb, by putting their faith in what Christ did on the cross and the word of their testimony, their testimony in Christ. They were telling others about Christ and telling them what they've done, what, what Christ has done in their lives. Romans chapter 5 as well reiterates the same type of idea. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I, I, I love this text because we see where the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage the church in Rome saying, listen, don't worry about the suffering that you're facing because if you endure that suffering and you rejoice in that suffering, the thing that makes you glad is that you know that as you are suffering, it's going to produce something in you. It's going to create endurance. In other words, it's going to give you even more of a reason than you had before to keep on going. The enemy wants to use suffering and trials as a, as a vehicle, as a tool to try to get you to quit, try to get you to give up to try to get you to compromise. That's what the enemy wants to use suffering and challenges for. That's what the enemy wants to use things like COVID-19 for, is to get you to, to just get tired and give up and just quit and just go the route that everyone else is just going, just do your own thing instead of trusting in Christ. That's what the enemy would love to use in our day and age with a lot of different pressures that we face socially to where we're going to have to, well, I guess I'm going to have to just do what everyone else wants to do, think like everyone else thinks, just go along with the flow he says, no, if you actually rejoice in that suffering, the enemy wants to use that to snuff out your fire, snuff out your flame, but it's actually going to produce endurance. If you find that joy in Christ, if you find that worth in Christ, if you've counted the cost, 
because that endurance is going to also produce something in you. It's going to actually chisel out and develop character. It's going to make you a better person of character because now you've gone through things and God is refining you for His glory. And then as that character is produced in you, it's going to actually produce more and more hope. This is where the enemy wanted to use those challenges to get you to quit, to get you to give up, to get you to stay discouraged, get, to get you to stay depressed, to get you to stay afraid. What the enemy meant for destruction, what the enemy meant for your harm, God can turn around and use for his glory. And it's through ways like this, because hope doesn't put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint, as some translations say, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit, the comforter, our aid, the one who's empowering us to do what God has called us to do. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, but we must stand and be ready to persevere no matter the cost. Amen, church? See, hope in Christ assures us that if we suffer with Him, we will also share in His victory. The cost of our faith has been great. We must take our faith seriously by living in light of eternity. We must pray for those who are suffering around the world. We must be mindful of our own priorities. Are we valuing eternity? Do we care about whether or not our family understands the gospel? Do we care whether or not our neighbor has heard about Jesus and has received his free gift of grace? Are we choosing to live our lives in a way that is going to impact eternity? Because no matter what days lie ahead, whether things get worse, whether things get better, whether things go our way or not, it doesn't matter. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the word of our testimony in Jesus Christ. We must testify. We must proclaim that the work of Christ must be done, and we must care enough to ask others if they have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, church, this goes further than asking if they've been to church or if they believe there's a God. This goes much further than that because people can answer those questions. Do you go to church? Do you believe there's a God? Someone can easily say yes to that. I want to know, have they received Christ, put their faith solely in Him? Do they have an ongoing, developing, growing relationship with Jesus where they value Christ? This goes further than just being baptized and confirmed. If someone's been baptized, someone's been confirmed, they could put their hope in that and think, well, I've done all the things. I've checked all the boxes. No, this goes further than that. You see, if we just trust in our works, if we just trust in what we've done, then we're missing the relationship with Jesus and we're just trusting in what we've done or what we've learned or how we've answered Do we really know Jesus? Asking someone if they have received Christ goes further than just simply receiving communion. It goes further than simply volunteering. It goes goes further than being generous with your time, your talent, and your finances and your resources. It's not just asking someone if they've done all these things because if we put our faith in the fact that we've done all these things, then we're saying we have somehow earned our salvation by what we have contributed to it. When Scripture explicitly says the only thing that we, the only thing that we have contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a gift that has been given, that gift of free grace that Jesus Christ has bought and paid for. You see, we think we've contributed something to our salvation. We think we've helped God out. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our contribution. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's not what we've done that makes us righteous in the eyes of God. It's rather what Christ has done. And then the good that comes out of me, all of those good things that I mentioned, they're good things. They're not bad things. They're good things. 
It's good for you to learn about God. It's good for you to have been baptized. It's good for you to receive the Lord's Supper. It's good for you to volunteer. It's good for you to to be able to, to grow in your faith and to be able to serve and be generous. Those are good things. But don't put your faith and your hope in those things. Those things come out of your relationship with Jesus. They're not a pathway to Jesus. You trust in Christ. He forgives you of your sin. He makes you new. It's his breath in our lungs. And now all the good things that I'm doing are coming out of my walk and my faith and my wanting to know him more. And so we're not asking people if they've checked all the boxes. We're asking people and asking ourselves, do we know Jesus? Have you been asked that question? Well, you have today. Are you asking others that question? Do you delight in knowing Jesus? Because hope in Christ is is deepened when we know Jesus more and we can be confident in Christ alone. You see the presidential elections coming up? Are you placing your hope in a candidate? The government is giving a lot of money to biologists to come up with a cure for coronavirus. You're seeing it in the news. This this group's getting so many millions. This group's getting so many millions. It's a race for the cure. Are you putting your hope in the biologist? Are you you looking for hope in government? Are you looking for hope in the military? Are you looking for hope in the stock market? You know, if it goes well, then I feel good. I have hope then. If the right person gets elected, then I have hope. I feel good then. If these things would just get fixed, then I have hope. Or is your hope in Christ? You see, Jesus is our hope. He's our peace. Do you know him in that way? Because if you don't, friend, can I tell you that today is the day for you to know Jesus? Can I tell you that today is the day for you to tell others about Jesus? Because this faith that we have in Christ has a cost. Many around the world are paying a great price because they live like it and they believe it. We should support them and pray for them, but we should also be sharing with them the same passion and conviction that they are as well. That if it costs me, it costs me. If it costs me everything, it costs me because Jesus is worth it all and I am laying up for myself treasures in heaven where man can't touch steel, where rust can't corrode, where it can't be contaminated. Everything on this earth is going to pass away but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's going to take care of those other things. Not that we should be anxious or worried, but that we can rest and trust. So perhaps today is the day of your salvation. Perhaps today is the day where you have been stirred to the core and you've been cut to the heart and you realize you have trusted in the wrong things and it's time for you to put your hope and trust in Christ. What do I do, pastor? Well, the scripture tells us very simply what to do. As many as call out on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That's it? I mean, do I have to join the church? No. Do I have to go through any class? No. Do I have to, you know, do anything strange? No. Call on the name of the Lord. Trust him with your heart. Confess him with your mouth. Jesus, I need you. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you've been trusting in the wrong things. Acknowledge your part in the deal. Jesus, I've been trusting in the wrong things. I've been looking to the wrong things, and I see that I need you. And as you see that you need Christ, as you acknowledge Christ as that hope, he'll make you new. 
He'll make you new. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're watching online, call on the name of the Lord and be saved today. Cry out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus hears. It doesn't have to be this perfect, beautiful prayer where all the words are just right. Jesus is not impressed with your words because it's his breath in your lungs anyway. So why would he be impressed with something he gave you? He's looking at your heart. He's looking at what's going on right now. And if you're wrestling with something, you need to acknowledge that because the worst thing you could do would be to walk out of here not having dealt with what's being dealt with in your heart right now in this moment. The worst thing you could do is walk out and because what's going to happen is you'll develop a callousness to that. And that's the Holy Spirit trying to draw you. And you're basically continuing to develop that hardness in your heart, rejecting what God is trying to do in you, what God is trying to stir in you, what God is trying to show you. Because you are not here today by accident. You're not watching online today by accident. You didn't just happen to turn it on. No, God led you to this point. God led you to this place today. I fully believe that and am confident in that. I do not say that lightly because God cares very much to lead people back to his family who have been lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one sheep that may be lost and maybe you're that one today. Can I compel you and plead with you to put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus today? If you are a Christ follower and you're confident in your faith and you know that heaven is your home, you're a citizen of heaven and you're like, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, got, I've got Jesus and I'm developing a relationship and growing in relationship with him. That's awesome. I pray for you today that today you've been stirred up to live on mission. That you've been stirred up and strengthened in your faith to walk out of these doors better equipped to live in the world and live for Christ and be aware and to pray for and care for your brothers and sisters in the world that may be experiencing a great deal of suffering. And maybe if you're a person here today or watching online that's experiencing suffering, I pray that today you've been encouraged knowing that you're not alone and that we stand with you and we pray for you and we love you and we want to encourage you to keep moving forward. Let hope rise. Let it be strengthened. Let your character be sharpened May your endurance be renewed. May your heart belong to Christ. May your passion be solely for him. So Lord, help us do this. We can't do this on our own. We're not that great. We need your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Help us to grow. Help us to, to see what we need to see, to be about the business of kingdom priority, of kingdom importance to grow, to trust, to be strengthened, to help us to be the people you've called us to be. Thank you for being so good to us. We love you and honor you today. In Jesus' name.